If you truly believe in freedom, not just because you say you believe in freedom, but if you really want people to think for themselves, they're going to start thinking some things you don't like. So welcome. I am here today with Dave Rubin, and we're going to jump in with Dave Rubin of The Rubin Report, one of, I would say, my, my best political friends out there and a, and a real inspiration to a lot of folks who are trying to open their minds about politics. But first, I want to say thanks to our sponsors over at Policy Genius. So over 80% of people think life insurance costs double what it actually costs. Not only that, almost 100% of people think buying life insurance is a pain in the neck because it is. The truth is, a healthy 35-year-old can get half a million bucks in coverage for less than 30 bucks a month. And getting life insurance does not have to be complicated because there's policy genius. Listen, I know you think you're never going to die. Everything's going to be fine. You'll live healthily. Well, not true. Someday you will die and your family will need the money. That's why you should get life insurance now. And policy genius is the easy way to compare life insurance online. In just five minutes, you can compare quotes from the top insurers to find the best policy for you. Policy Genius has helped over 4 million people shop for insurance. They've placed over $20 billion in coverage. And they don't just make life insurance easy. They also compare disability insurance and renter's insurance and health insurance. If you care about it, they can cover it. So if you've been thinking about getting life insurance, go to policygenius.com. It is the easy way to compare the top insurers and find the best policy for you. You'll be saving time and money and hassle, and it's free. Policy Genius, because comparing life insurance does not actually need to be a pain in the neck. Okay, so I could not be more excited to welcome my friend Dave Rubin here. Dave, good to see you. Good to see you. I like that line, if you die, it's too late. It, it is. I mean, that is just... how I live my life, basically, <laughs> that I better get it done now because you never know. Well, one of the great things about, about Dave Rubin is that the first time I was introduced to you, I think it was probably on your show. I, I don't yeah, know we knew each other before, before I was on your show. And you are, I think, one of the best interviewers in the business. So people normally right. see stuff like this and expect us to see the chairs reversed. Yeah. Um, but what's what's really fun about this, I actually want to ask you about some of the some of your own journey, because yeah. you don't actually get to talk about that too much on Very your quickly, show. though, I just for the record, clearly, by you being an interviewer, you stole this from me. I, I was the one that came up with the idea of the interview. No Two question. people sitting there talking it's it out. That was me. Appropriation. And you have culturally appropriated it from me. I just want to put that. Oh, yeah. And then just like just like America, we're going to culturally appropriate from others and then we're going to make the best of it and make more money. So, I mean, that's, that's our actual plan. <laughs> Listen, here. if you make a better interview show than me, to me, that truly, and I'm not kidding, that would be great because that would make me do better. I love competition. I, not, I'm not even saying we're in yeah, competition, yeah. but I love that. That's the point. We This whole crew of people that I'm sure we're going to talk about we're all rising together despite what our differences are and that's awesome so it's like i would love the idea of oh shapiro's doing a show and more of these guys are connecting and more of these ideas are no it's awesome it's awesome and that's why i'm here yeah it's really exciting so okay before we get to you know what you referenced there the the so-called intellectual dark web a turn coined by our common friend eric weinstein yeah uh, i I first want to ask you about your own personal journey toward being where you are because If you look at your YouTube channel and you look at the, the videos that have the highest hit count, there's still some from your Young Turks days, you know, from the days when you were uh, in league with uh, with our good friend, Shank yeah. uh, Iger. And so so I, I want to ask you sort of for, for people who don't know about your journey from being you know, pretty hard left yeah. to being open minded about politics to the extent that, you know, you and I are probably much more in league together now than yeah. certainly you and Shank. Well, especially on the big stuff. On the big stuff, particularly. Let's hear about how did you move from where you were to now where you are, considering also the fact that you're openly gay, you're married to a dude. Yeah. Like how, how exactly? How did I'm this not work? just saying it. I put it into right, practice exactly. in real life. Yeah. I mean, look, there's a lot there. First off, 
I always find it funny, and I just tweeted something about this, that like people will look back on the way you thought a couple of years ago or something you tweeted a couple of years ago or what you said a couple of years ago, and then you see you say or do or think something different now, and they think you're a flip-flopper or you've sold out or some incarnation of that. And I always think how ridiculous and, and sad, actually, that is. The one thing that separates us from the animals is that we can think, we can learn, we can actually change our minds. And I'm impressed when people go, you know, I used to think that way. And now I think this way. It doesn't mean you yep. abandon your ideals, your morals, all, all the other stuff that I think we, we're going to talk about, but it means that you can take new information in and change. So without giving you the, the full long story of, of the full evolution, what I would say is when I was part of the Young Turks, a lot of it had to do solely on the gay marriage thing, that the left was pounding this issue and for me, all I've ever wanted is equal rights. I don't want special rights. I don't want anything extra. I want equality of opportunity. And that's it. And this one issue, which directly affected me personally, I think it did blur or color how I felt about some other things. You know, I would, like you, I was a political science major. Mm -hmm. and, and it's funny, I think back now and I'm like, man, knowing what I think now about politics and understand about freedom and the people that have influenced me and that I've been able to sit across and learn from, I don't know how I really thought that much that I how I thought that the left really made sense, mm -hmm. that the state really made sense, the collectivism made sense. But I do think partly what happened was, at least for a couple of years, I was hijacked in a way. My mind was hijacked by that one issue. Yeah, because if you're not treated equally in some way, mm -hmm. then that can become something that colors everything else. So it's not totally about that. But I think that was a large part of it. And then look, gay people are equal now. Everyone in this country is equal. I mean, that's that's the truth. There are no laws on the books right now that cause inequality. That doesn't mean inequality doesn't right. exist, that we don't live in a utopia. And thank God we don't live in a utopia, by the way, because it's not real. Right. And, and on the way to utopia, you get dystopia. And I think that we might be heading there right now, <laughs> but I, we're, we're trying to fight it, right? Mm -hmm. So I would say basically once I, once I woke up and I started really seeing what the left was and, and the endless hysteria that you know all about and the attacking people's motives constantly, lying, smearing, basically turning on Fox News and going, that's what they're doing and we're going to do the reverse. That's not a position to hold. A position to hold is something that you truly believe in and understand where rights and morals and all the rest of it comes from. And I would say more than anything else, my real evolution is because I do this. I mean, every week I sit down with people from you to Jordan Peterson to Sam Harris to Thomas Sowell mm -hmm. and, and an incredible array of thinkers. And I, I swear to you, Ben, I sit there, I look at them as you're looking at me now, and I try to take in as much as I can and be as honest as possible. And I can see right now, you don't have a ton of notes on you. I didn't, you yeah. know, we talked a little bit before and we're going to do our thing. And that's how I try to approach an interview. I don't have a motive. I try to honestly hear these people. And sometimes you can figure it out when someone doesn't know what they're talking about. <laughs> and, and, but let them say it. Yeah. And, and let that be, to the, let, that, let the audience decide. So I want to talk know? about your interview yeah. style in just a second and the people, because sure. there's been some controversy associated with some of the folks that you interview. But yeah. I think that, you know, of all the people that you're talking about, the one thing that I've said that I think that all these folks have in common is that they actually like examining ideas and we're not ripping on each other's motives. We're not constantly suggesting that we're coming from a bad place trying to do bad things. Yeah. And that more than anything is, I think, what unifies this, this group of people. Yeah. That and the fact that there are a lot of people out there who cut against their prevailing audiences to say particular things. Absolutely. I mean, think about this. I take positions that, I mean, we did it on my show just a couple of months ago, right? Yep. I, you, you know I'm pro-choice, begrudgingly pro-choice, and I talk about the 20-week thing. And you made an interesting argument where you said, you know, if you're saying it's a life at 20 weeks, but it, you know, it, it can feel right. pain. That's my argument. Mm -hmm. And that's, 
Well, I conceded to you, yes, it is obviously a life at 18 weeks. It's one of those issues that whether we agree or disagree, we should be doing that. Right. We should be having that argument. And I think out of this whole crew of people, whether it's Eric or his brother, Brett Weinstein, or Christina Hoff Summers or Sam Harris or whoever it is, we're all taking some unpopular positions that go against what our base, if you want to call it, believe. That shows a little bit of character. That yeah. shows a little bit of of a desire for truth. And that's all we're trying to do here. And and really to your point though, I think, how often do any of us really attack people? Now look, me and you are, are big on Twitter and we fight with specific right, exactly. people now and again. Like, every, but, but Going out of your way to attack somebody for who they are is something that I don't think any of us do. None of us do it. And have we ever done it and slipped up and you can word things a certain way or whatever? Yes, of course. But if you really look at the breadth of work of these people and all the times we've come together and now a bunch of us are doing public events and all that, mm -hmm. we consistently are talking about ideas. We are not talking about people. And that simply does not happen with most of what's going on with the left these days. They attack motives. They attack your, your human uh, the, the, in the most inner part of you. Um, and that's what they go for. And it's because they've grown fat. They've controlled the narrative for so long that they don't want to debate ideas because they felt that they didn't have to for so long. And that's why I think so many of them hate me, actually. Yeah. It's not that they think I'm necessarily wrong. It's that I know what that is. I was in it. So they can go, okay, it's like, it's easy for them to hate you. You know what I mean? Right. Like, it's easy for them to hate Glenn Beck. It's easy for them to hate Prager and all that. Because like, we've always hated the right. the, the conservatives. But wait, here's one of us. Right. And not only that, I mean, they, 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 look, at, they look at folks like you and they say, OK, here's a gay guy who's not towing the party line. They hate well, that him. means that, that he must not legitimately be gay. I mean, secretly, he must be <laughs> subscribing to Playboy or something. You know, I'm because... pretty gay, man. I don't <laughs> want to make you blush right now, but I, I assure you that I'm gay. I mean, it, I just but yeah. even that it doesn't matter. It, we can talk about that if you want, but it's just to me, it's so irrelevant. No, but it's the tokenism yeah, of the it's left, the tokenism. right? They, and, and, it's the token, and, and this is one thing that does bother me on both sides is the sort of tokenism that, that adheres to both sides. So on the one side, you'll see from the left this idea that if you are gay, yeah. then you cannot be conservative. Or as you saw with Kanye West, if you're legitimately black or you care about black folks, then you can't actually be a fan of President Trump. You can't be an independent thinker in any way. And then I do think that there are some folks on the right. And there's a question about the right, too, which they'll, they'll look at somebody like you or like a Kanye and instead of saying, okay, that's an individual who agrees with me, that's really awesome. They'll say, ooh, look, a gay guy agrees with me. Yes. And all of a sudden it's like, ooh, totally different. So, Whereas I think the proper response to that is, okay, so he's gay, you know, whatever. Like, we agree. That's the important thing, right? Yeah. I mean, look, this is where no, nobody's fully right all the time. You know what I mean? Like, we all have our internal biases. We all are constantly trying to figure, it, well, if you're, if you're an honest thinker, you're mm -hmm. trying to figure out what's going on. So yes, do both sides kind of pick and choose when they want to play identity politics and all that? For me, as someone that came from the left, I, I know it so well, that line of thinking, and, and it, it basically spread like a virus throughout all of the left. If you look at my show, like the first time I had you on, which is mm -hmm. almost three years ago yeah. already, and again, we did not know each other, and I think you came in very ready to fight. Like You were like, oh, I'm sitting down with a lefty. Right. You were ready to fight, and I really was there like, you know, this guy, yeah, let's do it, and, yeah. and look what's happened in these last couple of years where we've become allies in this yeah. space. So people will say to me, well, you don't attack the right enough. Now, first off, by and large, I've been welcomed for all of my differences. I go to events that you've been to. I go mm -hmm. to the, the Turning Point event that we did in West Palm Beach. It was the biggest uh, college conservative gathering, I think, of 
ever, yeah. basically. I went up there, I talked about being gay, married, and pro-choice, and for euthanasia, and a whole bunch of things <laughs> that are that are completely... Right, you live with your chin. Yeah, I got would... up there, yeah. <laughs> I, and guess what? I got a standing ovation. Not the Shapiro-level ovation, but I got a pretty well, I mean, good... It's a different <laughs> thing with you. But 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 that's the point. So So you cannot tell me that these people are the intolerant ones, because I constantly see the reverse of that. And all I see is intolerance from the left. They are, you guys genuinely are the tolerant ones. And the left, this thing that I was talking about has taken over every, I mean, from top down, mm -hmm. from, from Bernie to the Women's March and however low level you want to go. Does that not mean that, of course, there are some, there are decent lefties. I think there's a lot of misguided people, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but I don't believe these are all bad people. What I do believe is that we can show them that actually, if you really care about live and let live, if you really care about gay people or black people or Muslim people or the rest, the only way to do that is let people live free. And well, and how do you is, do that? It's it's through libertarian. Well, and values. this is the part. This is the place where there really is a crossover because yeah. whether you're a conservative libertarian or a left leaning libertarian, libertarianism I think is probably the wave of the future in the I sense that people agree. want to leave each other alone for the most part. Like that. That's why abortion is such a big disagreement because there are left leaning libertarians who say, well, that's a woman's choice, and right leaning libertarians like me who say, well, that's an independent human child, and so this implicates actual liberty issues. But it's why, for example, you start off by saying that you were really on the left because of the gay marriage issue. You know, I've been in, in favor of the government getting out of the business of marriage for years and years and years and years. Before Obama was in favor of same-sex marriage, I was in favor of the government getting out of the business of marriage, even though as a religious person, and you know this because we've discussed this, yeah. as a religious person, I still think homosexual activity is a sin, but who cares? We live in a free country. You can believe that I'm an idiot, right? Yeah, I mean, but I, let's not gloss over that point. I really mean this. I really want to mm -hmm. focus in with you here. I genuinely don't care. Right. I mean, I really mean that. Like, I hope, look, hopefully, Ben, we'll be friends for another 50 years and, we'll, and all That's sorts of- That's the plan. And we'll change hopefully the world. Hopefully we both live, exactly. Yeah, and hopefully we'll live long <laughs> enough, and we'll, but we'll, we'll change the world to be a freer place and all that. And maybe when we're 80, we'll do this again. And you'll go, you know, Dave, after all these years, maybe, maybe you're not a sinner. It doesn't right. even, and I don't even think you really view me that way. And it, it truly doesn't matter to me as long as you're not coming onto my property and trying to harm me right, or anything. Exactly. And this people is, really need to understand that. And people need to understand that, I think, in general about religious folks, is that just because religious people think something is a sin doesn't mean they think the government should get involved or that it's my job to lecture to you about the sort of sin in which you are participating, particularly if this is something that, you know, you're, you're involved in or you're, or you're set on. Like, there's actual counterproductive things that are being done so when this, you do though, that. So this, though, is where I think the conservatives got a little crossed up with the religious crew and for years was doing too much moralizing and preaching. And for example, so for the years before gay marriage became law, uh, I believe that you were taking the, the libertarian position on this. Of yeah. just the government shouldn't be involved. Was, like since 2010 but, but very yeah. few conservatives were doing Like Rand Paul, for example, should have been screaming about that, yeah. right? He should have said this has, like, I'm the libertarian of you guys, of right. you uh, conservatives and Republicans. That should have been his mantle. Not because he really, I don't care what he thinks about gay right. marriage one way or another, but he should have staked out that position and he could have led the conservatives to a right. more principled position. But but he didn't because everyone's always playing politics in their own little thing. But at the end of the day, if you got, guess what? It's the law of the land right now. So, And I also, I mean, this is the case that I make to religious people. If you're a religious leaning libertarian, right, who believes that certain things are sins, so what? Meaning that the, the, here's, here's the real problem. Don't do them. Right, exactly. Ben, so, don't sleep with the dude. Ex done. We're there. So, <laughs> yeah. I mean, we're good to go. That, so, but that's the point. Right. Exactly. And, and I think one of the things that I've made the case to with religious people is if you're a religious person and you don't want the government cracking down on you from the reverse side, if you don't want the state of California saying same-sex marriage is now the law of the land and your church 
has to perform same-sex marriages, well, then you should be in favor of the government getting entirely out of this business because whatever the government touches, it now has the power to wield the gun on behalf of. So in a second, I want to ask you more about your interview style, which has become super popular, obviously, and in some ways controversial. Yeah. First, I want to say thanks to our sponsors over at Bull and Branch. So as you can see, we're never going to agree on everything, but everyone can agree that we all need more sleep. And getting a great night's sleep is easier and more affordable than you think. You don't need a new expensive mattress or sleeping pills. What you do need to do is change your sheets. You know, we're all stupid about sheets. We all drive past the gas station. We think it's a thousand count, thousand thread count sheet. You buy, bring it home. It's a tarp. Well, this is why you actually need to check out Bull and Branch because everything Bull and Branch makes from their bedding to their blankets is made from pure 100% organic cotton. It starts out super soft and then gets even softer over time. You buy directly from them. So you're essentially paying wholesale prices. Luxury sheets can cost up to a thousand bucks in the store. But Bull and Branch sheets are only a couple of hundred dollars, which sounds expensive. It really isn't. You're sleeping on them every night. We actually took all of our old sheets and we threw them out and bought a bunch of Bull and Branch sheets because now I can't sleep on anything else. It's actually ruined me. Everyone who tries Bull and Branch sheets loves them. It's why they have thousands of five-star reviews, why Forbes, Wall Street Journal, Fast Company, they all love Bull and Branch. Even three U.S. presidents, plus Bill Clinton's lovers, sleep on Bull and Branch <laughs> sheets. Shipping is free and you can try them for 30 nights. If you don't love them, send them back for a full refund, but you're not going to want to because there is no risk and no reason not to give them a try. To get you started, right now my listeners get 50 bucks off your first set of sheets at bullandbranch.com, promo code Ben. Go to bullandbranch.com today for 50 bucks off your first set of sheets at B-O-L-L and branch.com. Again, use that promo code Ben, bullandbranch.com, promo code Ben. That lets them know that we say and you get the $50 off. Okay, so let's talk about the popularity of your show because obviously you went from nothing to a million miles an hour very quickly. I mean, yeah. you have you have an enormous audience now. Uh, huge numbers of people tune into your show. I know that the interview that you and I, it was really more of a conversation. That's, why, that's what's great about your show is it's not even an interview so much as it is a conversation with yeah, the person that you're talk talking with, which is great. Yeah. Uh, and the, the interview that you and Jordan and I did together has, you were saying, three million views on YouTube now. Yeah. And so you, you guys become wildly popular. So the area where you're getting criticized a lot from yeah. some folks is that you'll have a, not only a wide variety of people on, but people who they consider outside the Overton window. And I want right. to talk in a minute about kind of the constriction of the Overton window and how dangerous this is. Sure. But what's your philosophy when you decide how to have a guest? Who do you think it's worth sitting across from? Because obviously not all ideas are created equally valuable. And who do you think, okay, I'm not having that dude on. That guy's just a jackass. Yeah. So it's a great question. I'm glad you asked it. And I've, I've been trying to address this, um, but hopefully this will be the cleanest one that I can do. So my general belief is if you are saying something that is relevant and it's starting to percolate up and I start seeing, oh, there's people talking about you, this idea is sort of interesting, this or that. Like just the, it's just a little bit of just like a general gestalt of things. Like I just mm -hmm. start feeling something. And suddenly I get a burst of people saying, this is the, you got to look this way, look this way, look this way. So that's usually where it starts. Look, there are cases. So for example, Mike Cernovich is a good example of this. When I had Mike Cernovich on, it was about, Two, and a, two years ago or so, it was right at the beginning of the Trump thing. And I, on Twitter, I'm seeing all these people that are these big MAGA Trump people, but, I, but they were all anonymous. And I couldn't find anyone that was like a somewhat legit human, like a published <laughs> author or a With television, a face on their Twitter like account. an actual yeah, exactly. face. I couldn't find anybody. And then suddenly Cernovich started popping up more and more. And I looked and he, he had the, this book and I was like, all right, he's a published author. Seems kind of interesting. I think he was verified on Twitter. So I was mm -hmm. like, all right, there's something here. And then I and then I interviewed him. By the way, in my interview, we, we talked Trump basically for an hour. Mm -hmm. We talked some frustrations with the left and just blah, blah, blah. There was nothing that was racist that I could It wasn't about Pizzagate. It was, yeah. No, it was before Pizzagate, right. by the way. So this is also a funny thing where you interview someone, then someone does something a year later, and then people think, 
How could you have interviewed that person? Yeah, or they'll literally tweet the interview to me and say, you didn't ask him about Pizzagate. And I'm like, well, I don't have a freaking time machine. You know what I mean? But really, everyone just wants to get you all the time and all that stuff. Now, look, has Cernovich done some things that I think are somewhat shady, like Pizzagate? Yes. At the same time, in the last year or so, has he done some interesting actual reporting? Mm -hmm. Yes. And at the same time, has the media absolutely collapsed and become a completely unethical cesspool of evil? Yes. (laughs) And I don't consider him to be the worst part of that cesspool. So I have no problem doing that interview, when, when you, especially when you take the context of, of everything else. I think the one that people seem to be more annoyed about. So, I, so realistically, look, I've done, I don't know, 300, 400 yeah, interviews. Yeah. So people point to like two or three and I'm like, all right. That's all, that, always the way it works. Yeah, yeah. yeah, all right, two or three. So I think, uh, look, people were upset when I had Milo on. I do not regret having Milo on. He was, he was a big personality he, at the time. He, yeah. Yes, he was a cultural phenomenon for good or bad. And look, where is Milo now? you know, pretty much irrelevant. It comes out in the wash. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't, but I have no regrets for anything that I did with him. I think we had, especially the second interview with, we talked, it was two gay people that had really wildly different takes on things, really Mm -hmm. going into some issues that don't get discussed that often. I have no regrets. Now that one was good also because it was clarifying. I mean, there there were certain things that he said. I mean, I remember writing a column about something that he said about you know, the value of political correctness and saying, okay, well, if this is what he thinks, here's why he's wrong. And clarification is a useful, a useful tool for sure. I mean, people like, obviously it's well publicized that Milo and I do not get along and are are not getting along began long before the actual, you know, the actual move by the alt-right, you know, involved with Milo. It started off when Milo was saying that political correctness had to be combated by saying things that were utterly vile. And I was saying that's not what political incorrectness is. And that was partially elucidated. I remember I wrote a long column about this for Daily Wire on your show, right? Because you had that conversation with us. Yeah, and and I'm glad you said that because that gets to a, a little bit of why I interview the way I do. The only way I could get him to that place, right, was if I let him speak. Not if I just browbeat him the second he said something that I disagree with or I found odious. Mm-hmm. But you got to let him speak and then smart people will look at it and then hopefully write an article about mm-hmm. it and say, okay, this is what's wrong about this or or that or the other thing. I think the one, though, that that people seem to latch on to the most is when I had Stefan Molyneux, who's a YouTuber. He's really interested in this race and IQ stuff. Look, he a lot of people wanted me to have him on. Uh, I had done his show once or twice where we basically, it was unedited. I made sure it was unedited. And it was I basically talked about classical liberalism. I talked about the individual and limited government and all that. And we had a perfectly fine exchange. Do I know every bit of this guy's work? No. I have, If you were to add up all of the time that I've ever watched of all of his videos. Mm-hmm. I don't even think you get to an hour. Mm-hmm. And it's probably mm-hmm. it's probably significantly less than that. The the obsession with race and IQ is odd to me. It's not yeah. it's an extremely uncomfortable topic. I mean, look what just happened with Sam Harris and Ezra Klein and because of the Charles Murray interview. Right. Sam being completely right and Ezra being completely wrong, of course. Yeah, and, yeah. and that yeah, that, that that that's a whole other thing. And it also goes to show why the media is just so awful once they get infected by social justice. Oh, yeah. Because Ezra and Vox have just been completely... How in the hell did I end up on the same side as Sam Harris, man? I mean, like this is what's but, happened now. But you know, almost every speech that I give now, I, I give a shout out to you and to Sam because yeah. I always say this is the incredible time we're living in. Yeah. The first video that I did of 2018, this is gonna be the year of unusual alliances. You and Sam Harris disagree on everything. <laughs> Literally on everything from the most existential questions of the universe and God mm-hmm. and meaning and all of that to taxes, to abortion, to right. da, 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 da. yet your allies. It, yeah. this, is, this is a beautiful it's, thing. And that's and that's why people are coming to us, by the way. Real quick, though, on Malibu, yeah, yeah. Um, look, he has an obsession with that topic. I even I made a point of repeatedly asking him in the interview, 
Why do you care about it so much? Mm -hmm. Why do you care? Now, at the end of the day, we link to some articles that he referenced down below, and then I put it out there for people to decide what they think. It's not my thing, but the last thing I would say about this, because I, I don't think it's worth uh, yeah, belaboring too long, mm -hmm. is that you know my friend and mentor Larry King, you know, in his in his heyday, picture nineteen eighty nine. Uh, he looks exactly the same he as he did that. He looked, <laughs> but, yes. And I, I, I love Larry. The fact that he even thinks I'm remotely decent at doing this is the most incredible thing ever. But peak, peak Larry King. Let's yeah. say, let's Back say, in the oh, days when he was introducing me at the Israeli Bonds Bank. Like, yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, so playing the violin. Let's, yeah, go, exactly. let's go 94, peak of O.J. Simpson, Larry yeah. King. On any given week, Larry King, five nights a week on CNN, could have had the cast of Friends on Monday, Farrakhan on Tuesday, David Duke on Wednesday, an animal guy on Thursday and, you know, Lucille Ball at 80 years old on Friday. No one in their right mind would have thought he endorsed all those ideas or he thought, thought all those people were friends or whatever. For some reason now, if you sit with someone, if you chat with someone, if you just listen to someone, mm -hmm. you, you automatically endorse their ideas. It's such a dangerous, slippery slope path. So, and I believe you just have to let it be. If people don't like what I do, you don't have to watch. So, here, really so here's okay. the obvious follow-up question, just yeah. to clarify. So are there people who you wouldn't have on? Well, of course, there's people I wouldn't have on. I mean, I mean if people, you, I'm if, talking about people in the conversation. So, say Richard Spencer wanted to come on your show. Would you okay. have Richard Spencer? So, I'm, obviously, he's prominent. You know. So, I'm glad you asked that one. He's actually not that prominent anymore. <laughs> I mean, and 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 who made him prominent? By the way, it was the left that kept propping him up as if he was somehow the standard bearer for conservatism mm -hmm. or for the right or something like that. Nobody. There were very few good conserv, decent conservatives, which I think is the bulk of conservatives that were like. This guy's on it. Like, these right. are the ideas we're pushing. So as for Spencer, look, his ideas that that the United States should be a white ethno state or a um, whatever you want to call that yeah, thing, yeah. those are so absolutely ridiculously counter to all of our founding documents, to everything that is great about this country, that there is no reason to give that air at all. Now, could someone say, Dave, you just said this thing about Molyneux, you gave him air? Possibly. Like, I'm willing <laughs> to entertain that. And if at the end of this, you say, you know, Dave, you really did drop the ball on that one. All right. Mm -hmm. You know what? Mm -hmm. Ben, you're not going to believe this, but I'm not perfect. <laughs> I mean, it's crazy, right? So I would say that those ideas are so ridiculous, but it's not just that they're ridiculous. Those ideas are so out of power in any way. You can say whatever you want about Trump and, and whatever, but he's not a white nationalist. He's mm -hmm. not a white supremacist. The ideas of white supremacy don't have power in mainstream media. They don't have power in the halls of politics or any of those things. So to focus on that would just be giving it strength. When I talk about what's wrong with the left, it has infected the whole freaking thing from top to bottom, as I said earlier. So that's why I focus on that more. But of course, there. If you are literally calling for murdering people and all, I have no need to talk to you. Mm -hmm. And by the way, my show, uh, as you know, my studio is in my home. There are right, some exactly. people I don't want in my home. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, I think that's a pretty good rule of thumb. If, they, yeah. if you don't want them in your home, then you probably shouldn't have them on your interview, right? I mean, that's we've that's had true. that we've had that debate internally about some things. You yeah, know? Like, uh, we we have. So have you have you found it harder since you've made this shift? And now you, I mean, you're you're very open with the number of people and the and the kinds of people you interview. As you say, you've had people left and right. Have you found it harder to book particular guests because of your reputation? Meaning, you know, was it easier to book people from the left before and now you find that they're avoiding your calls? Well, it's funny because people say, oh, you have all these libertarians on. That's usually they have all these. Well, they always call them far right. But yeah. they're just basically libertarians. And it's like, man, if you think Shapiro and Prager and the rest of these guys and Larry Elder are far right, whatever you mean <laughs> by that, like you actually don't want to have a conversation. You know, you truly don't. Look, most of my guests, I think, actually have leaned a little bit left. 
but they've all been purged from the left. I mean, mm-hmm. That's what's consistently happened. With so so let's talk about people. that because yeah. it, because now I wrote a column recently uh, about the reduction of the Overton window. I was mm-hmm. talking specifically about Kevin Williamson at National yep. Review and the Atlantic hiring him and then firing him within three weeks when they found yep. a tweet they didn't like. And what the left, it seems to me, has done, and this is why you and I are now in the same camp and Sam and I are now in the same camp, we're all in the same camp together, is what the left has done is they've created the Overton window, for people who don't know, is this this, tw- this term that was coined for acceptable elements of debate. So not people you agree with, but people who are saying things that are inside the realm of the of the rational or inside the realm of the reasonable or the, the decent, yeah. let's say. Uh, and what the left has done is they've closed that window so tight that unless you agree with them on virtually everything, you are now no longer in the Overton window. So for Sam, he gets cast out of the Overton window for saying on national TV that Islam is a more dangerous religion than Christianity because he's looking at the numbers of adherents who are actually violent. Mm-hmm. And Ben Affleck calls him crazy and suddenly Sam's outside the Overton window and he does an interview with Charles Murray and suddenly, and suddenly Ezra Klein is calling Sam Harris a racist for talking about obviously well-substantiated IQ studies in a rational, reasonable way in which he's not saying that all IQ differences are biological and he's still okay. getting cast outside the Overton window. So do you think that there's a way to open back up the Overton window or is the only way to do this just by changing the gatekeepers of the Overton window or does it need to be destroyed altogether? Because there are a lot of people who are saying, well, it seems like there's three perspectives. One, the Overton window is is too small and needs to be broadened a little mm-hmm. bit. One is we need to change who gets to decide who's in the Overton window. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the third is no Overton window whatsoever. Everybody gets to talk. Every perspective is to a certain extent equivalent in terms of what should be heard and what should not. Where do you stand on yeah. that? So it's a great question. I just did a video a couple of days ago where I said the Overton window hasn't just shifted, it's shattered because that's what that's what's happened right now. You're right. The left controlled the narrative for so long that if you if you were a lefty who dare say some unpopular things, and Sam really is the best example of this, you will be purged. Who hates Bill Maher now? Is it the right? Is it Ben Shapiro? I'm quoting him on my show now. <laughs> yeah, even though you disagree with probably all of his all of his policy solutions are probably the complete reverse. And his takes on religion are and, wildly... Oh, right. oh, that religion oh, my, thing, oh, too. Yeah, 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 you know, like the thing about like me being crazy for right. the thing on my head. Yeah, all that, yeah. <laughs> okay, but, but, right, but yet you're quoting him all the time right. because your basic premise of where you guys are starting from is a... Dis- because Bill really is a libertarian, but he's gotten sort of lost, I think, in some leftist stuff. And by the way, I would love to have this conversation with him at some point. Oh, yeah, because he calls himself I would love you to have this oh, conversation. Oh, it'd be great because he was, he was, he called himself libertarian and he moved to the left while still calling himself libertarian. And now he's finding that he actually is still libertarian in his mind, even though he'd moved to the left. It's but really his weird. audience is left now. So he's, oh, it's he's so funny. trapped. And, but this is the best thing is him yelling at his, at his own audience on his show. It's but, an incredible but thing. But think about this. So it's funny. So for all the what what happens with Bill now? He say he says some unpopular thing and then the left now calls him racist and a bigot. But that's the same thing he was doing to conservatives all those years. So he's become sort of a victim of his own creation. But but putting him aside for a second on the on the Overton window question, look, it needed to be bigger. There is no doubt about that. It needed to be brought in so we could have some honest conversations. But we simply could not so that every time a, a decent conservative spoke up, you were labeled far right and alt right and everything else. Look, even with the Kanye tweets, uh, what happens? You know, he, he sends out a couple videos of Scott Adams, you know, the Dilbert mm-hmm, creator, mm-hmm. best-selling author, BuzzFeed, Mediate, um, a bunch of others. They all wrote that Scott Adams is far right. Candace, I mean, the, twi- the Twitter yeah. moments thing happened when, when Candace Owens, when Kanye tweeted about Candace Owens. Twitter moments, the lead thing, far right Candace Owens. Candace is a friend of mine. I've had her on the show. I have a lot of differences with her, which, by the way, we talk about publicly. I was at Berkeley with her a couple of weeks ago. I'm going to be with her uh, next week doing something. The idea that she's far right, you may not like her. But this is what they do. So the, the window de- did need to expand. 
if it shatters, if it truly shatters, well, then we're in this odd place where everything is equal and everything should be entertained. And that could be dangerous. But as a free speech guy, I'm all for those things being said. Right. If you, if you have to have a choice between there being no Overton window and an Overton window that's this small. Yeah. Look, for people like us that, that take unpopular positions and say what we think all the time, we need that Overton window to be as wide as possible. That, but that's the risk of freedom. I mean, this is the risk consistently if you, be, if you truly believe in freedom, not just because you say you believe in freedom, but if you really want people to think for themselves, they're going to start thinking some things you don't like. But then what's the answer? Get people to be educated. Get them to read some stuff. Get them to listen to some interesting podcasts. You know, Greg Gutfeld, who I think is doing a great job of bouncing between um, mainstream media on Fox News and kind of getting this intellectual dark web thing, he wrote a great piece on how, you know, you barely have to go to college at this point because you can go on YouTube and listen to lectures by Jordan Peterson and Christina Off Summers and Gad Sad and a whole bunch of other people. You'll learn. I think there's some issues with that because you need college, I think, for some of the socialization and, you know, fun and some other Didn't stuff. Didn't work for me. I lived at home, so. But, oh, okay. I'm so there you go. You, so you, I'm, I'm working hence, on you. Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? You're taking me to the parties. Yeah, yeah, that's why I'm, you know, that's why I've got you doing videos with, uh, with Blair White. But really, I mean, but even that, the fact that we had that conversation about trans issues and that you, you admitted that you had a sort of public position and a private position on this. And then you had the conversation with Blair. And now I've still got these crazy people on Twitter telling me what a homophobe you are. Yeah, or yeah, whatever. It's, it's, yeah. And that's why they need to be ignored. We don't need to give them oxygen. If you truly want to make a better world, if you truly want to live in a country with 300 some odd million people that are all going to have differences of opinion, and that's actually what makes us stronger, then those people just have to be ignored. And they're running out of steam, by the way. So I want to talk about the, the technological reduction of the Overton window. We'll talk about YouTube and Facebook and what they're doing over there in just a second. But first, I want to say thanks to our sponsors over at Blue Apron. So for six weeks from April 16th through May 21st, Blue Apron is teaming with Airbnb to bring you the best home cooking from around the world. Each week, their menu is featuring a recipe developed in collaboration with an Airbnb experiences host like Cece, who's a chef from Shanghai, who makes apparently incredible Kung Pao chicken, a beloved sticky, saucy mix of crispy brown chicken and vegetables. It sounds delicious. And Blue Apron delivers fresh pre-portioned ingredients and step-by-step -step recipes right to your door that can be cooked in under 45 minutes. Everybody at our office is using Blue Apron. The menu changes every week based on what's in season. It's designed by Blue Apron's in-house culinary team, and Blue Apron offers 12 new recipes each week. Customers can pick two, three, or four recipes based on what best fits their schedule. If you have kids, it's really fun to cook with them, and Blue Apron makes it really easy. Blue Apron sends only non-GMO ingredients and meat with no added hormones. So check out this week's menu and get your first three meals free at blueapron.com slash Shapiro. That's blueapron.com slash Shapiro. Get those first three meals for free. Blue Apron is a better way to cook. Okay, so, David, you've had some bad experiences with YouTube. Now, YouTube <laughs> has been constantly demonetizing your videos, which obviously has to cripple your income considering that you're largely a YouTube-based platform. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're moving into new areas of revenue, which I'm really excited about for you because I think it'll just expand your capacity to do all the things you're already doing, which is awesome. But what we've seen is that, and I've been talking openly about this with members of Congress, what we've seen is that there were these gatekeepers to the media, and it used to be NBC, ABC, CBS. And then the internet destroyed all of that, and you could yeah. get information from wherever you wanted. And then there were these new platforms, Facebook and YouTube and Twitter. And they said, you know what? We're just platforms. We're places where you can gather your audience and expand your audience. And you don't have to worry about us shutting it down because we're not ABC, NBC, CBS. We don't have an editorial board that decides what people can see and what people can't see. And then they lied. It turns yeah. out that they're all <laughs> acting as publishers and they are shadow banning 
or they are demonetizing. So you've had videos with me that have been demonetized. Yeah. You had a video with Thomas Sowell. I, I can't make a dime off you, Shapiro. Right, exactly. Yeah. I don't know. Well, I'm making a dime off of you. So oh, okay. we figured it out. This is the <laughs> whole cultural somebody. appropriation thing yeah. that we were talking about. But, yeah. you know, it's it, with the orthodoxy comes greater earning power. So well, I'll bring you back eventually. Uh, that's but, what you really judge for right. the secular Jew thing. We should talk about that. Okay, later, we'll, we'll talk about that in just yeah. a second. So, it, but how have you been dealing with that? And what do you think is the solution? Because there's some people saying, you know, regulate YouTube as a public utility. I'm always troubled by the idea of additional regulation in this space. Do you think it's possible to build a competitor, something like a YouTube or Facebook, considering the market share dominance that these companies actually have? What, what do we do about this? Because, again, you had a conversation with Thomas Sowell that was automatically demonetized with Thomas Sowell. Yeah. I don't even know how that's humanly possible. Ben, as a guy in a yarmulke, you know the story of David versus Goliath. <laughs> I've sort of become Dave versus YouTube. I mean, I, I've been one of the most outspoken people on this because... It's impossible to tell what's going on. If let's say they just had a clear one pager, this is what we monetize, this is what we don't, this is our policy. Well, I, nobody forced me to be on YouTube. I'm voluntarily there. They don't have to monetize anything, by right. the way. They, I truly, I mean, I tweet this all the time. They can do whatever they want. The only reason I'm screaming about it all the time is I can only use my voice to influence things. I don't want government involvement. The idea that the government that the United States government is going to somehow regulate a tech company properly is bananas. Well, it's complete. I literally. First I of all, those paid, guys don't even know what a computer is. I mean, if you watch that hearing with Zuckerberg, it was just yes, like it was incredible. What is the Facebook? Is it a book full of faces? Ben, I just paid my property taxes. Uh, you know, a month ago on a government website, it looked like it was AOL from 1996. <laughs> Nothing. They can, the idea that these people can do this, or that middle management regulators can figure out. Well, how it makes to, you hate taxes uh, even more because they <laughs> take all your money and then they build these crappy <laughs> websites. But yeah, uh, the, the hour that I lost in my life just watching the things slowly, <laughs> like yeah, I mean, I was really it was like <laughs> dial-up prodigy, like ridiculous. So. The idea that the government can do it is not the answer to me. What I think we can do, and I think you're doing it too, is we can influence them by leveraging our audience to know what's going on. It's the lack of transparency that's the problem. And it's also, look, the only reason I keep making such a big noise about it is because things like Thomas Sowell, things like Ben Shapiro, I mean, it's it's all over the board. And by the way, you know, there's this idea out there that this is only, they're only attacking conservatives or they're only attacking people that are thought of as more right or whatever I am or whatever. I don't know that that's the case. I genuinely have no idea what's going on, but I will consistently use my voice because that's what you're supposed to do as a citizen. I'm not asking the government. And yes, do I think competition can come in? Yes. Now, the, the one counter argument to this, and I think it's a legit one, and I think perhaps our, our friends at Prager University view this a little differently than us, is that Google, which owns YouTube, obviously, controls so much information, has so much power now, that it is possible that by default that competition can never really arise against them. Now, I actually don't take that position, but I think there's an interesting argument to, mm -hmm. to be had there. I believe they'll they'll ultimately crumble under the weight of their own nonsense. If you're going to say, well, and we know this because of the Demora lawsuit, well, we're not going to hire white or Asian engineers. Guess what? You're going to start getting not the best engineers. And that's not a knock on anyone's ethnicity or anything, but you should be hiring. If your only standard is merit, it's different than if that is not your only standard. Obviously. Precisely. So, yeah. so they will crumble on their own. And if we have to push them a little bit so that ultimately something else can arise, then then so be it. But I would be, look, if they, if tomorrow it all gets fixed, I, every time I email them, I'm like, guys, I want this to work. You yeah. think I'm enjoying this? But I assure you, every time we see the demonetized thing and we request for you and one of my guys tells me, I mean, I'm not going to repeat because I know this is a family show, yeah, what exactly. I usually <laughs> say at first, but then I'm like, oh, 
I mean, I got to do it again. And then I got to take the screenshot and I got to tweet it. Yeah. It's like, this is not what I, I want to put out a show. Yep. Get people to check it out. Let the ideas fall that where they may and then move on. But no, I don't think the government is the answer. And I think uh, what you're doing, what I'm doing, what Phil DeFranco is doing and Rogan and the rest is the answer. Keep putting out good stuff and force them to do the right thing. Now, the one area where, where I'd be curious to get your thoughts is what I've suggested is if they're going to act, be acting like publishers, then they ought to be treated like publishers. Meaning we here at The Daily Wire, yeah. if I publish a story that is libelous, mm -hmm. then The Daily Wire can be sued for that because we control the flow of information. If you're Facebook and you are and you are taking certain content and you are whitewashing it, uh, you're, you're, you're moving it off the front pages and you're taking other content, you're elevating that. It seems to me that unless you're doing that in the most neutral possible way, you are now a publisher. You're, you're deciding what goes up and what goes down. And, which, and Zuckerberg himself said, we're now responsible for what goes up. Well, obviously, he doesn't mean that. Because if he <laughs> means that, they will be out of business within five minutes just for simple copyright violation. I mean, there's yeah. probably tens of thousands of copyright violations that happen on Facebook every single day with people grabbing other people's photos and sticking them on Facebook. My feeling is that if they're going to if they're going to act like publishers, they got to be treated like publishers. And if they want to act like platforms, like an AT&T phone line, then act like an AT&T phone line. Don't, don't tell me that you're acting like an AT&T phone line while you're demonetizing Dave Rubin while actually spending money to promote Chank. Right. right? Like so, that, that's absurd. So, of course. So, uh, so I read your piece on that, and I, I think it's a perfectly sound argument. I'm still worried. Even, even granting you all of that, mm -hmm. I'm still worried about where that would lead if they were to be viewed as a publisher instead, mm -hmm. because it still creates a problem with the government. And I, I just don't think the government can solve this thing. I think competition is the only thing that can. But j very quickly on that, we know that they have partners. I mean, with the amount, the groups that they've decided that are monitoring content, they're mm -hmm. all far left groups. The channels that they whitelist, like the Young Turks. I mean, they're, the Young Turks is a far left, by every estimation, they're a far left news organization. Now, because the media never calls anything far left, they right. just call no everything thing, far right. right. Yeah. Bernie but Sanders like, is mainstream left. So. Right, exactly. They would never call... Bernie is far left. I mean, that is the truth, but yep. they never call him far left. They, he, he's a hero and you're far right. So again, I mean, that gets us back to the Overton window thing, but I would say competition is the answer and we just have to keep putting out good stuff and, and we will survive. I mean, this is exactly why I'm on Patreon because YouTube Rev, it just makes no sense. And, and, I, and you know, I'm working on some other things, partly because partly you hooked me up with something and and we'll go from there. Okay, so let's talk I can survive. I can survive. Oh, no, you're doing, you're doing great. And, and yeah. the fact that your audience continues to grow is presenting a real threat to a lot of these outlets because, yeah. again, if they don't get to choose which outlets have the viewers, the money will find the viewers. I mean, that's just the way advertising works. So eventually yeah. they're going to look and they're going to say, Dave Rubin has enormous numbers. And whether we get you the money another way or whether we get you the money through YouTube, the money's coming. So By I the think way, what a funny thing that is. I mean, you said this on uh, on the sit down we did with Jordan when you were like, man, we're the best we got. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, like, how did this happen where there's this like 20 of us that, you know, I, I think we're all good at different things and, right. and whatever. But like, how did it all suddenly fall on these 20 people? And now Kanye's actually given a lot of oxygen to this. Yeah. Even if forgetting his politics. Which yeah, I don't forgetting the crazy know. of him. It's, it's, the bottom line is that you know, as soon as there, there are a certain number of people who are willing to treat other people as individuals, and those people are all being kind of placed into the same category. I mean, I've written about this now a bunch of times for National Review. Just the idea, again, that if you look at the, the panoply of people who are now friendly with one another, it's people like Sam and you and me and Jordan and Brett Weinstein and Eric. I mean, like, I don't know if you can have a more polarized set of people politically than that. Yeah. And yet a more unified group of people who want to have honest conversations than that. And it's because they reject identity politics, which I think is at the core of all this. Yeah. So I, I want to talk to you a little bit about 
you know, Dave Rubin, the human, because we yeah. get Dave Rubin, the set of views all the time. We did the robot. Now let's get to the it, human. Exactly. Okay. I never allow me, people to ask me this question yeah. because then, <laughs> the, then everything goes on the fritz and I start, the sparks start coming out of my head and all that's what the yarmulke hides. But yeah. <laughs> uh, it's not horns. It's actually my yeah. wiring. But uh, the, oh, I can see yeah, exactly. So let's talk about kind of what your life's like, because you mentioned the secular Jew versus religious Jew thing. So where are you yeah. religiously? Like, yeah. what, what is it that you believe? So it's interesting. So first, uh, I'll start kind of with the end here and then I'll go backwards. You know, it's funny. I, I because I interviewed a lot of atheists in a row. And when we started my show as the interview show on Aura TV, the first interview I did was with Sam. And then subsequently, I got on a lot of the skeptic community, the atheists and whatever. I love having those conversations. I know you like having oh, them too, fun. by the way. It's, and I think the most important conversations right, in like, many ways. So yeah. that's Whether we agree or disagree, that's what it's all like. What is going on here? Let's figure it out. Why do you think it? It's a wonderful conversation to have. But anyway, I had a whole slew of them, guys that I really, really like from wide ranges of backgrounds, from Gad Sad and Pete Bogosian and Michael Shermer and a whole, <laughs> whole slew of people all over the place, politically, ethnically, et cetera. And because of that, people started saying that I was an atheist. I had never said I was an atheist, but people kept saying it. Then I was on, I think, the first time I had Milo on. And Milo was ripping atheism. And it basically, I, I felt he kind of put me into a place where I kind of had to say defend that it. I... Yeah, that, exactly. that, yeah, I had to defend it. But, but even more, I, had, I, I felt that I sort of had to say I was an atheist. And I said it. And I, had, I don't think I had ever said it privately mm -hmm. to anyone or even... I didn't think it quite summed up what I believed. Um, but because of that, then about a year and a half goes by and I, I went off the grid last August and I'm trying to do it every year now. And when I was off the grid- You could do it was, every seventh day. We, yeah, we, we I, hear you. We do. Well, I mean, that's funny. Shabbat's you know, a great I, idea. <laughs> I'm doing this, uh, you know, I'm doing, I'm trying to do this off social media on the weekends. Things yeah. that you tweeted. You yeah, were like, like, well- We have a whole religion built around this just <laughs> for you, Dave. Yes. Right? <laughs> um, yeah, you guys need to extend, you guys. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it needs to be extended into a 48 hour period. And that's how evil Twitter is. But that aside. Oh yeah. That aside. Um, I came back and I had been off the grid for a month and I, I suddenly, I just had this feeling when I was away and away from the nonsense. And I literally didn't look at the news once. I did not watch TV once. I didn't look at social media, nothing. That I really, what, the word atheist did not sum up my beliefs. Mm -hmm. It just didn't. It, it felt too limiting to me. So I basically yeah. said, I don't like that word anymore. And then all hell broke loose because they were all pissed at me. And like, right now, it turns in, now you're from Jew and, you know, yeah, went so, from an atheist to being a fully observant from Jew and no longer gay married. You right. know, it's overnight. Also, it's amazing how that it's works. It's also yeah. stupid. But look at all these interesting people that come to this conversation. I mean, you look, you work with Andrew Clavin was was born Jewish. Jewish and now is Catholic. Then was yeah. an old, is Drew Catholic or is he Protestant? Or is, Protestant and Drew's Protestant. Okay, but so, yeah. okay fair enough. But he's Christian, yeah. Uh, he's Christian, right. So... What I would say is this, just quickly on, on my background, I grew up in a, in a conservative Jewish home. I mean, we did Shabbat on Friday night, mm -hmm. so I'm, I'm with you. I get Shabbat. I th aren't we due for a Shabbat? What, we are. What's happening yeah, there? Well, yeah. I mean, I'd say um, first my wife has to get out of, like, she has to cook dinner right. at one why point. Why is this woman always working? I mean, because she's a doctor. She, you've heard. I she's know. Doctor, I know yeah. she's a doctor. And I know like, people are now saying, why don't you cook dinner, Shapiro? Because yeah. I refuse to cook dinner. That's the answer. I want it's, Shapiro cooking me a Shabbat dinner. Wow. I, yeah. I don't know. It's that, that feels, that feels, now I know what women feel like. That yeah. feels so like, ah, uh, how dare you? <laughs> All right. So, I, so, but I was brought up in a, in a conservative Jewish household, New York, you know, it was, the, it was the stereotypical Jewish household of people fighting over politics all the time, fighting over everything. And then with the meal would finish and, and we'd be fine. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I would be at the, when we'd have holidays, you know, Passover, uh, whatever, Rosh Hashanah, you know, huge tables of people. And I'd usually be at the kids table when I was young, but I always wanted to be at the adults table because I wanted to it's be more fun, yeah. arguing and fighting and, and, you know, all of that stuff and talking politics with everybody. Uh, I did a semester in, in Israel. I didn't know uh, that. Okay. Yeah. In uh, junior year of college. Nice. 97 at Beersheba University or Ben-Gurion University ben -Gurion, yeah. in, in Beersheba. I, I would say this in terms of religion. I have a huge 
cultural identity to the history of the Jewish people. These are my people. This is the story of my people. And by the way, it's a very depressing and sad and painful <laughs> history. I mean, th that's the irony. You know, it's uh, my favorite line about Jewishness is from Fiddler on the Roof when Tevye says, you know, we're the chosen people. I wish he just could have chosen someone else. <laughs> you know, it's it's a painful history. We oh, yeah, sitting it's here- It's 3,000 years of horror punctuated by the occasional triumph. Yeah, and, so and, and some humor that got mixed in. I mean, that's what happened because- well, a, either, a lot of horror creates a lot of humor, yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, you know, comedy is tragedy plus time. So yeah. <laughs> like that that's what it is. I mean, it's not a coincidence that Jews are generally funny. I mean, mm -hmm. it, it actually isn't a coincidence. Um, so I would say I have a huge affinity and, and cultural attachment to that. And I understand the history of my people. And even if I had no attachment to that, it's still real. It's mm -hmm. still, it still exists. I can't sit here, and I think this is where you kind of want to go with this, and say that none of those beliefs, none of that, that set of ideas, because it's not about just saying a word, but right. the set of ideas that this comes from, that, that the idea that that has nothing to do with what I think right now is is completely crazy. But I was I would also say this that on the God front, you know, a lot of Jews there there's a huge amount of secular Jews. I would say like a Stephen Pinker really falls yeah. into this, where or or even Sam, or even well right? Sam, I, you know, I don't know if Sam technically I, I don't know what he technically he is, considers, he, yeah. considers himself at this point. But I would say a Stephen Pinker, Eric Weinstein would be a good yeah, example. Of this people who are they're really skeptics, atheists but absolutely Jews, you know what I mean? They identify with, and I think Ben-Gurion sort of had a take on this too, mm -hmm. that if you identify with the history of these people, that that sort of is enough. Well, I mean, it says in the book of Ruth, right? Your people are my people and my God, and your God, my God, but it's people first and then God, which is a really interesting sort of transition biblically. Yeah, um, so I didn't know that line, but but there you go. That, that makes some sense to me. So, but I would say all of these people have a certain... There's a certain a certain wrestling with God, a certain well, that, that's you know, for sure true, and, and that there's so much of that in Judaism. Orthodoxy, that too, right? I mean, this is yeah. the, the word Israel literally means struggle with God. Right? I mean, Yisrael is it means struggling with God. It says right in the Bible. So this is certainly nothing new. Yeah. I want to talk more about Judaism, but first, let's make some money with our friends over <laughs> at Zeal. So, <laughs> so Zeal is a, a it, this service is honestly fantastic. Okay, I've used Zeal for my wife. For my parents, for my in-laws, it will buy you some really good ins with your in-laws. Okay, because here's what Zeal does. Whether your back hurts from running after your kids or your muscles are sore from working out or you're stressed after a long day at work or doing an interview with me, Zeal brings you same-day in-home massages with the best licensed and vetted massage therapists right to your home. So you go to Zeal.com or on Zeal's iPhone or Android app at Zeal, spelled Z-E-L.com, and you select from top local licensed pre-screened massage therapists. You can choose your favorite technique, your gender preference, your time and location for your massage, and Zeal will send one of their 10,000 licensed massage therapists with the massage table and the music and the supplies. They basically make a spa right there in your home for a five-star massage. Scheduling, booking, payment, it's fast and it's easy. Even the tip is included. So seven days a week, 365 days a year, a Zeal massage therapist can be at your door in as little as an hour. They're all top-notch folks. Privacy, convenience, quality, comfort. That's what you're going to get with your massage on demand from Zeal. I always say you don't actually have to be rich to feel rich. And one of the things about Zeal is it makes that happen for you. Find out for yourself why Zeal has been featured in the Wall Street Journal, New York Times, on Good Morning America. Again, bring the spot to you. Try Zeal today, like as in today. They are on demand and you can have the best massage of your life in your home with Zeal right now to help you get started. Our listeners get 25 bucks off their first massage with promo code Ben. That's Zeal, spelled Z-E-E-L dot com. Promo code Ben right now. Again, Zeal.com or on Zeal's iPhone or Android app and get that special offer when you try Zeal. Enter promo code Ben, 25 bucks off your first in-home massage. It's just fantastic. You'll really enjoy it. Okay, so back to the religion question. So, okay, let's let's get down to brass tacks. So where are yeah. you on God now? So you're not an atheist and you're also not 
you're not coming to show uh, with me. So where? Yeah. So <laughs> you know what? I will. I, I will gladly go to show with you and see what's going on. Oh, I, it'll be wild, man. I, I, seriously, only, I'd, be, I'd be happy. Honestly, to do it's a it. lot of mumbling and yeah. a lot of chuckling, as you know. I, but it's, there, but it's, I, I, I know what's going on. For yeah. real, I, I will be more than happy That'd to be go fun. with you. Yeah, That'd be fun. and you know, Prager does uh, the the Yom Kippur service. I think. Yeah, and, exactly. Yeah, I, I'm happy to do those things. I like, you know, Eric Weinstein, by the way. Uh, who is who's in effect a, a secular non-believer? I've been to his house for Shabbat, and, yeah. he, and he does it. So, so that's why that's the confusion generally around Judaism, whether it's a culture. I identify with the culture, right? Um, so I, so no, I don't like the word atheism related to what I believe. I don't know that I can fully tell you what I believe. I, I just don't, and I know some people will say, "Oh, that's some sort of cop out here or something," but I. I have a belief in something. I would say I'm far more of a Zionist than I am religious, easily. I think you can make, you know, Sam wrote a piece a long time ago, which was pe- people on the left hate him for, about a secular argument basically for Judaism, or, or for Israel, not for, for Israel, Judaism. Yeah. He's not making an argument for mm-hmm, Judaism. Mm-hmm. I could, I don't, the, the religious part, whether you were wearing your yarmulke now or yeah. not, doesn't matter to me whether we happen to be taping this on a Friday, whether you light candles tonight or not doesn't matter to me specifically, but that there is this absurdly tiny uh, oasis that is a, a place on earth for this group of people who have been slaughtered throughout time, who, by the way, are just returning to their homeland of thousands of years ago. Well, you know, all these people say, well, the Jews just took this place. They just came in and took it. There's an awful lot of old Hebrew in this place. You know <laughs> what I mean? Exactly Go to right, Jerusalem. Yeah. Oh, where, I don't know where all this Hebrew came from. Right. So I would say I'm a much bigger believer in that, that that I believe every people have a right to self-determination and Jews finally got it. And who hates it the most? It's the left. I mean, it's so it's so sad. The one place that defends any of their beliefs, any of their beliefs in the Middle East, that is by far the most tolerant place. That's the place they hate the most. Yeah. And, and it's also the place that has given more equality to more people in the Middle East than anywhere else. I mean, there's basically, there's ba- pretty much no Jews that live in the Arab world anymore. Yeah, there's almost no Chris- Christians. Ask the Coptic Christians, how's it going in Egypt these days? The, there was one Jew. I went to Egypt years ago. There was one Jew there. I just heard that he's out of there. So like, there's literally nothing left. And there's this one place that is a tiny bastion of freedom that is absolutely imperfect, like every other state, but that has to be under endless assault by not only just physical assaults, but has to be under assault by these crackpots at the UN all the time. I am a much bigger and, and what am I defending? I'm not defending, I'm not defending people that want to convert people or mm-hmm. expand a people or anything. I'm defending people's right to live in freedom. That's it. And I don't even want to get into to how that re- is related to just the peace process and all that because we could do right. a whole other show on that, but I'm happy to do that. Tomorrow. Well, let's, so, you know, I think that we're, we're moving toward the end of the show, unfortunately, but I want to ask yeah. you, where do you think that you are going in the next five years. So obviously you've been doing this for three or four years with all the interviews. What do you think is the future for Dave Rubin? You know, fast forward five years down the line. I mean, I get all kinds of crazy offers. And fortunately, because my audience has been good to me and what we're doing on Patreon, I've said no to things that would make me a lot more money. I mean, than than I'm making right now. And I know that I'm in a great position to figure out what I truly want to do. I mean, look, I built a home studio. My my commute. It's a nice studio, yeah. Yeah, but <laughs> my commute is ten minutes, ten steps, not ten minutes, mm-hmm. ten steps from my bedroom. That's that's pretty good. We've built a small, lean, strong business. I'm, I, you know, we pay all of our employees health insurance and and all kinds of other benefits and all that. And I'm so proud of what we built, and it's so consistent with the ideas that I'm constantly talking about. 
So look, people ask me all the time, like one of these days is, is it's most likely going to be Fox, I would guess, because CNN and MSNBC don't seem to want to do anything. Yeah. Well, CNN will put you on every now and again. Uh, but, only then I knock one of their hosts No, no, no. Yeah, I know your, your Smackdown of Stealth was, was pretty <laughs> sweet. But look, could one of these places make me an offer that it would be crazy for me to say no mm-hmm. to? And I don't mean that just because of money, because it's not about that. For no, me. about I'm, the, I'm the reach. I'm fine. I'm yeah. happy, really. I'm, I'm content with what I'm doing. I want it to grow, but... But I'm in, in a good spot. But yes, if you really if you really believe in what you're doing, you want it to get to as many people as possible. So could one of those offers come and then I'm going to have to make some kind of Sophie's choice or something? Yeah, it could come. And I, and I look forward to it coming and, and we'll see what happens. But I would say in terms of what I really want, it's I want these conversations to continue. I truly, truly believe this. We, Ben, are now part of something that is is resetting the system. I, I really believe that the, the whole country, the dialogue social media, everything got so out of whack, so haywire that Trump possibly was the only thing that could have rebooted it. But we're now in the reboot phase. That's not a commentary on Trump. I believe we're in the reboot phase now. You know, it's like when you press reset on Nintendo and you get back to the beginning and now you got to play again. I think we've hit that button. And now it's like, holy cow, there is fertile ground for good ideas. So if I can continue being part of that conversation, keep finding allies where three years ago I would have found enemies, Keep being a part of what you're doing, what all of these guys who who we've mentioned ad nauseum now here mm-hmm. are doing. It's like, how cool is that? It is really you, neat. You know, and it's fun. fun. Yeah, it's really you, a lot of you fun. You know, too. I walk down the street and people, people, first off, I walk down the street, people say, may the force be with you. I mean, that, that's amazing. <laughs> but people literally, some guy was walking down the street the other day, some guy just yelled out classical liberalism and gave me a high five and we just kept walking. I'm like, holy cow, <laughs> like ideas are taking root. And, and let's, Look, we live in crazy times, so let's try to fix it a little bit. Otherwise, what the hell are we doing? Exactly. So, okay, so we've got three minutes left. So speaking yeah. of fixing it, uh, give me the one thing that the right needs to do, and then give me the one thing that the left needs to do if we want to have a country in five years. So the left, look, what they've needed to do is exactly what I was trying to get them to do, was please rein in your most extreme forces. Unfortunately, they're simply unable to do it because of the oppression Olympics, because of how identity politics works, and because of grouping people based on immutable characteristics in a constant competition. They have the idea that intersectionality makes them stronger, like it's going to be like, you know, a couple Decepticons forming Devastator, Mm -hmm. right? Like it's going to be a bigger, (laughs) better robot. But that's not how it works. It becomes a bigger, crippled monster. And that's so I don't know at this point if there's anything that they can do right now. I would love, believe me, if there was a decent Democrat out there, if there was a blue dog Democrat, like an old school, if Ed Koch magically reappeared mm-hmm. or Daniel Patrick Moynihan or JFK, you know what they all have in common, they're dead. But if those people actually <laughs> reappeared and said, we're going to try to fix what is wrong with the Democratic Party instead of going the Bernie, Elizabeth Warren, Kamala Harris route, I'd be freaking thrilled. Mm-hmm. I would be thrilled. It's not going to happen. What the right can do, I, and I think you can be a big part of this, there is such an opening for you guys right now where all of the sane people that have just had it with this nonsense are going to start fl- pushing your way. I think you've done a really nice job of sitting down with these people. And I think the more that that can take root in conservatism, the, the agree to disagree, which I think is, is pretty much happening, but the more that, that truly takes root where you guys go, you know, we're going to have to be okay with the idea of pro-choice. We don't have to put it in our party platform that's, or, or whatever, but like we're going to have to find some allies that believe some different stuff as us. And the more that you guys do that, I think you will, find, you will have incredible, uh, an, an incredible ability to build something new. And that would be something that I would be proud to be part of. And I, at this point, I think you're going to find it very easy to do, actually. Um, so I, that's what I hope will happen. And then suddenly there'll be this new party 
or new movement that will be the widest tent. And it will only be the widest tent because the other guys pushed us all out. Exactly. Well, this is the no. part where we grip our hands like Rocky Three yeah. and form giant <laughs> biceps. And, yeah, yeah. and, and it's incredible. If we do Rocky Four, we'll go to Russia and fight on Christmas Day. We'd get serious numbers. Oh, my that. goodness. Well, I'm not sure I could take you. You've been working out, I hear. I've lost 17 pounds. That's amazing. Year. Good for you, dude. Yeah, I'm off the uh, off the bread. You're yeah, living clean. I'm Huey Lewis in the news. So. I'm trying. <laughs> I'm trying. Square. Well, yeah. it's great to have you, Dave Thanks, Rubin, man. my and friend. Good luck and with also, this. Well, good luck with, with your show. You don't need luck. You're already yeah. doing great. So it's great to see you. And I'll see you soon. Yeah. Thanks so much. Thanks, buddy. The Ben Shapiro Show Sunday Special is produced by Jonathan Hay. Executive producer Jeremy Boring. Associate producers Mathis Glover and Austin Stevens. Edited by Alex Zingaro. Audio is mixed by Mike Caromina. Hair and makeup is by Jesua Alvera. And title credits by Cynthia Angulo. The Ben Shapiro Show Sunday Special is a Daily Wire Forward Publishing production. Copyright Forward Publishing 2018. We'll get to more on this in just one second first. Pure Talk believes in American values and that free should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com slash Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving.